I'm excited, you know. I think God is up to something. <laughs> I really do. I think there's something fresh coming. We felt in the first service as we were worshiping that there's new bread, there's fresh bread from heaven. God wants to do something new with his people. Are you, are you open to that idea? Wouldn't it be amazing to think that as you step into 2024, that the breakthroughs and the prophecies and the fulfillment of all that God has promised you would start to materialize. Is there anybody who has faith to believe that 2024 is the year of the open door? It's the year of the open door. I'm just going to decree that over someone here today. It's the day of the open door. That the things that have been held back are suddenly going to be released to you. And God is going to open up some good things for you. Can anybody say amen to the Spirit of God as we... What have we got to do, Lord, to be able to receive that? What will it take for us to become the kind of people you can trust with that kind of reality? That's a great question, isn't it? And I believe that we don't have to worry too much about it because the Holy Spirit is already at work in preparing you for the future that God has predestined for you. You and I are already smack bang in the middle of God's plan. Amen? Don't look so miserable about it. It's a good plan. It's a good plan. He's got plans to prosper and to bless you, to give you a hope. And if you, are you staying with me all the way through, Michael? <laughs> I just feel, it feels very romantic or something. I don't know what the, the feeling is. <laughs> like you're serenading in the background. Um, but I know that we can speed up the process. We can speed up the process of what God wants to do by creating an environment for him to move in. And uh, I'll talk a little into that with the sermon that we're going to have today. So it's Christmas. Have you noticed? Yes. I don't know about you. It comes quicker every year for me. And uh, I'm still paying off the credit card bill for last Christmas. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, just kidding. Um, I didn't buy anybody anything. Because deep in here, I am the Grinch. <laughs> deep in here. I like your tree. Do you like my tree? Oh, thank you very much. It's not me that did it, but it's nice, isn't it? Do you like the tree, everybody? Caroline and her team came and they did that yesterday. And I just want to say that it will be available for hire if you want to hire it. Um, it'll save you having to put one up, won't it? If you have a Bible with you this morning, would you turn to the Gospel of Luke for me, please? Can we put the slide up? Is that possible? And we're going to be looking at what I think for many reasons is the first carols or the first songs of Christmas. Now, I don't know where you think the songs that you hear every year, I mean, every year they seem to dig them out of all kinds of places. Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? You know, have yourself a merry little Christmas. One of my all-time favorites, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. I'm a bit of a romantic, really. Or if you're just crazy, uh, I wish it could be Christmas. <laughs> By the time you get to December the 5th, I want to kill the people singing that song. I, that song really irritates me. But I don't know where you sit on Christmas carols, whether you think they're recent or old. But actually in the Bible and around the story of Christmas, there are songs. Songs that are declarations of God's goodness, his power, 
his dominion and his authority. Songs that speak of the tenderness of the heart of God to fulfill the plan he had for people's lives. And we're going to look at those songs. We're going to ask the question, can you hear what I hear? And as I read through these texts, I hear the sound of a God who delights in humanity. As I read through the narratives of the Christmas story, I see mercy prevailing over people's hearts and minds and lives. As I look at the story of Christmas with fresh eyes this year, I see that God always had a rescue mission in mind. And he came into our world as a lowly baby to redeem and to restore us to our dignity, which is being created in the image of God. And he's at work right now in you and at work in me. He never sleeps, he never slumbers. And I sleep, I slumber, but he never stops working. He never stops ministering. He never stops giving of himself to us. And uh, this particular song that we're going to look at today is called the Song of Mary. It's her song that she sang to the Lord in this moment where God touched her quite powerfully. If you have your Bible, we're going to be reading from verses 46 through to 56 of Luke chapter 1. Maybe we can put this up on the screen. Would that be possible? Mary starts by saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained, it says, with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned to her house. And what we're doing right now is we're just stepping into this story where Mary has been asked and invited by God to be the woman that brings forth the birth of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. She has no frame of reference for this. I mean, she hasn't heard this like you've heard it a million times. She's just a very ordinary, probably 14, 15-year-old young girl, and nobody from nowhere. In fact, one of the scriptures says, can anything good come from Nazareth? She was at the back end of everybody's queue, not significant in anybody's eyes. And yet God, in his great wisdom, when he designed the plan to bring salvation for all human beings, chose this very ordinary, this very simple, but as we look a little bit closer, this very beautiful young lady, to save you from your sins. And so she's carrying the Messiah. She's carrying the, 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 wonder, the wonderful work of God inside of her. And she starts to get filled with the Holy Spirit. She begins to experience the power of the Holy Spirit over her, lives, and I, her life. And I want to just say to you that we have all kinds of notions around you know, the Christmas story. But it started, it started with God planting a seed 
in a very ordinary young girl's life. Now, I don't know what you think about God or what you understand about his greatness, but that seems to me to be quite countercultural to anyone who has any level of authority or power. Why would you trust the salvation of mankind with a humble, ordinary young girl from the back end of nowhere. But if you look at the nature and the character of God, you start to see patterns. And one of the patterns is that he always works like that. Everything in the kingdom starts in seed form. You remember the time you first heard the truth about Jesus? When I say heard it, I don't mean that you'd listened to it. I mean you actually heard it. All that happened to you in those moments was a seed fell into the soil of your heart. And from that minute on, your life has been transformed. Everything comes in seed form. I think sometimes we're crazy and we want big, dramatic expressions of God, burning bushes and manna from heaven. But if you know anything about the way God speaks or ministers to people, all he does is sow seed. And of course, the condition of my heart, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, is really the test of whether or not that seed will flourish and grow and become all that God intended it to be. There's never a weakness in the seed, but there can be some weakness in the soil. And the soil is our hearts. And there can be all kinds of things that get in the way of that producing for us what God intended. But Mary obviously has a heart that is full of good soil. And God planted this seed inside of her. Everything starts with a seed. But let's take a little look at some things that may be helpful for us as we seek to understand the significance of this song. The first thing we recognize that in the words that she sings out and the words that she prays out is that Mary knew the scriptures. Mary actually had a substantial knowledge of the word of God. And I want to suggest to you that any real worship encounter or experience must be girded and undergirded with a knowledge of the word of God. If I could give any recommendation to anybody who seeks to lead worship or be involved in the worship ministry, read your Bible. And let your Bible become substantially the very core and the essence of who you are. Because when we come to music and celebration and adoration and exaltation, we can get swept along and carried along by moments and feelings and all kinds of inspirational things. But actually, the rock upon which we build our lives is not our emotions or our experiences. The rock upon which we build our lives is the Word of God. The Bible says of the Word of God that heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word in you, established in you, will remain forever and ever. And so the word of God is the substance of Mary's song. She's clearly been reading the scriptures. The second thing that we pick up from this story is this, that Mary's song is very similar to Hannah's song. Now, I don't know if you know the story of Hannah. Hannah is an Old Testament character. She could not conceive a baby. And in Jewish culture and in the historical moment they were living in, that was considered to be really, really shameful, almost like a default in that individual's life. Somehow they must have, you know, been displeasing to God and so children were considered to be the blessing of God and of course if you can't have children then something must be amiss if you're not being blessed by God. I know that culturally is actually similar to some other cultures maybe represented here this morning and so Hannah 
She used to come before the Lord and she would pray and she would seek him and she would desire to take this weight off her that she may be fruitful in her womb and bring forth a child for her husband. And of course, you know, in her barrenness, as it was called, she begins a beautiful thing and she starts praising God. She starts praising God. Can I just tell you, there's some secrets in this you need to hear. Because some of us, we're in a barren place and we're waiting for a feeling. We're waiting for an emotion. We're waiting for someone to say something prophetic. Do you know if you want to turn your desert into a place of desire and delight, praise God. If you want to change the circumstances around what's happening with the lack that you may experience in your life, stop complaining and start praising. Because when you praise, there's something about praise that draws the attention of God from heaven and he can do whatever he needs to do in those environments. But if you're not praising and you're complaining, he won't be able to do that. Some of us are professional complainers. I heard you on the way in this morning. The first service whinged about the snow and how cold it was. The second service whinged about the rain and how wet it was. I'm looking forward to the sunshine that's coming later this week because you can all whinge about that and say how hot it is. We have been so conditioned to complaint, we are not compliant to praise. And if you are a born again believer today, you have everything to praise God for. We sing the songs, don't we? But it needs to be more than that. It has to be a posture of heart, an inclination in our lives to keep on worshiping and praising God regarding of our, our situations. Our situations will change, but they often are dependent on our hearts changing. God has power over everything, amen? But if you're not allowing that power to do its work in you because you're complaining or whinging or whining, then you're not giving him much to work with. And God needs a space. Listen to what it says. I will inhabit the praises of my people. If you want to draw the attention of heaven to your circumstance, praise is always God's preferred weapon of warfare. And if somebody is praising, they are creating an environment for God to move. And praise opens up our hearts and our souls to the fullness of who God is. And it invites him to come in his power and do what only he can do. So Hannah, she started praising and thanking God. And eventually, in that environment of praise, the prophecy that she was given, which was the fulfillment that God would give to her a child, came to pass. And she had a son called Samuel. And you know, I want to say this about Samuel. Samuel is one of the most incredible people in the Old Testament because it was Samuel who identified David as the king. It was Samuel who spoke to David even after his fall. He was a very significant man in the purposes and the plans of God. And who knew that he would start as this tiny little baby in an environment of praise where there was a huge problem God began to work his miracle working power. Amen? Amen. So, Mary is praising God. Now, I don't know about you, but if you were Mary, wouldn't you have a few questions? <laughs> I mean, no one's ever been this way before. No one's ever seen this before. And, you know, Mary was minding her own business, and God clearly liked what he saw, and he invaded her life with his power and his beauty and the incarnation of Jesus. I'd have a few questions. I'd have a few problems, but I'd also have a few questions. Here's my problem. How do I explain that to the one I'm betrothed to? Can you imagine that conversation? Well, Joe, I was minding my own business, worshiping God. 
I just want to say to all of you in this room, be careful when you're worshiping God. Who knows what could happen in a place like this? You can imagine Joe's response. Are you kidding me? Or if he was Jamaican, he'd probably go, Are you kidding me? You're having a jaff? That's like a laugh, but different. Mary had problems, you know, in her praise, she had some real genuine problems. Come home to mom and dad. Sorry about this. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I was just worshiping. And the angel of the Lord came to me and told me that I would carry the Messiah of the world. Now, we knew you were a strange child, but really you're pushing things a little bit far, Mary. Didn't you have a little lamb somewhere? Mary had some problems, real life problems, big issues. And remember, we're not talking in this context where all kinds of things happen when children come to our world now. This is in a time and a place where if you had a child outside of marriage, you were considered the worst of the worst. I would have imagined what was on her lips was more questions than praise. I would have imagined she had a few things she needed to resolve. Ever been there? But she didn't do any of that. As the Spirit came upon her, she began to worship. She began to declare the goodness of God. She began to celebrate. Can you imagine? In the midst of all of this, she began to celebrate because she had found favor in the eyes of God. I mean... To be honest with you, it probably wasn't what everybody else thought or felt about it. But she didn't care what people thought about her. She had found favor in the eyes of God. I think we spend too much of our lives worrying what people think of us. Years ago, people said to me, I don't like to put my hands up in worship, Pastor. Everyone's looking at me. No, they're not. You're not that attractive. Oh, you know, if I speak out loud, pastor, what's going to happen? Nothing. We'll just be glad somebody's saying something other than the pastor. <laughs> what about if I dance in the aisles? Oh, we don't want any of that nonsense in church. What we want you is to sit in the chairs and look miserable. Oh, how successful are we? <laughs> people are so self-conscious and worried about what people think about them that they don't give themselves fully to worship, adoration, exaltation of God. No one's watching you except one who's looking for someone who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Someone who pushes past what other people get caught up in and says, let me, Lord, give you a space and a place to dwell here on the earth. Come, fill my soul with your everlasting light. God is looking right now for people like that. In this room, he's looking by his spirit for people who will allow him to do what he wants to do, who have maybe blotted out the problems or the questions and come with a heart that just desires to encounter. Because when we encounter him, it's not that all of our problems are resolved in an instant, but actually our perspective ultimately always changes. When I meet with Jesus, I don't feel powerless anymore. Hello? When I meet with Jesus, I don't feel hopeless anymore. 
When I meet with Jesus, I don't feel like a squirming, filthy worm because I'm not everything I should be. I feel like a son or a child of the Most High God. When I meet with Jesus, no matter how my body is trashed, my spirit is alive. When I meet with Jesus, no matter what people have said, I know that he has a plan and a purpose for my life. When I meet with Jesus, my worst failure becomes the place where God begins to restore and renew. We must meet with Jesus, for without meeting with Jesus, what do we have? Songs, words. Mary was meeting with Jesus. By his spirit, she was encountering the power of God. And her complaints or her questions broke into praise. And she was adoring and exalting, just like Hannah. We also see from Mary's discourse that there are elements of the Psalms. She clearly has read the Psalms. And not only has she read the Psalms, she's memorized them because she's not reading anything here. I wanted to say about that. If you truly desire to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Memorize the word of God. Do you know when I think about uh, Sunday school 20, 30 years ago, they used to do this thing called memory verses. You remember it, Liz, don't you? And we'd have this, I think they called it the sword drill. The sword drill, is that right? And you'd bring your Bible and you'd be given a memory verse. Now everything that pretty much happens is all about visuals and interaction and all of that. Do you know if we want our children to grow up with a substantial certainty concerning God, we need them to memorize the word. And what happens when we memorize the word is this his word becomes a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. It helps us make the choices and decisions in a complicated world. And I don't need to go looking for a scripture because the scripture has found me and is living in me and breathing in me and is powerful for me. I already have an established direction because I'm living with the substantial word from God. If you want to change your life, start memorizing the scriptures. Start absorbing the truth of God's word. Let it fill and flood your soul. And we find here with Mary, as was the custom with most Jewish girls, that she had memorized the scriptures because she's not reading anything. She's just praising. And out of her mouth comes these wonderful exaltations from the word of God. The fifth thing that we see before we even read the text is this, is that Mary reveals much that she has discovered about God. As you read through the text, you start to see some of the things that she begins to disclose to us. He's mighty, he's powerful, he's merciful, he's great. When you look at someone worshiping, if the word of God dwells richly inside of them, what they're doing in those interactions is declaring what they have already seen established by the grace and the mercy of God. God has shown them something and as they worship, they begin to worship from that place. Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody here saved? Yes. I'm just checking because I don't always know. So when we're worshiping, you're worshiping from your salvation reality. You are a new creature in Christ the old has gone. Behold, God has made all things new. You're not coming as an orphan. You're coming as a child of the Most High God. And you begin to worship from that reality. Not from who you were, but from who you are now. Amen? Has anybody discovered him as a healer? Give me a wave if you've ever been healed by God. When you stand in worship, you're declaring that he is the God who has power over your body. 
You don't need someone to sing a song for you. You've got a song already formed in your life by the things you've discovered from God. And as you worship him, you begin to worship from that revelation. You did this for me, Jesus. It always confuses me. When we talk about the greatness of God and people sit there like cardboard cutouts in a room because if you've experienced the greatness of God, let your song be heard. Let your voice be testifying to the reality of the power, the glory, the dominion, and the goodness of God. You don't need someone else to sing it for you. You've got it yourself. He's put a new song in your heart. Oh, hallelujah. You can only worship from that which you have witnessed. If you have not seen him, you can't declare those things about him. They're still true about him, but they're not true for you. And we worship from what we know. We worship from what we have found. We worship from the place of revelation that God has given us. When joy leads worship, it's very different than when Jody leads worship because joy's revelation is very different. And there's a sweet anointing on Joy's revelation, and there's a powerful sweet anointing on Jody's revelation. They're both singing the same song, but what you're hearing is not the words. What you're hearing is what God has established. Hello? And here's what's interesting, is when you hear somebody who you resonate with as a worship leader, it's probably because you have a similar revelation of the nature and the character of God. You know, when I was in Glasgow, the pastor there used to play soaking music. Soaking music is lovely if you want to go sleep. But I've always been a fiery little character. <laughs> Did you notice? I've tried to hide it, but it leaks out occasionally. Okay, and I love the violence of God. And I mean that in the most positive way. I love that he's powerful, that his mighty arm is displayed in our lives. I love God moving in power on people's lives. He can do that in a gentle way. He's God after all. He can do whatever way he likes. But when a worship leader comes and they're intercessory in their gift, it's because they have had to intercede in their private life. They have found him in a particular way. And when they sing, there's fire. There's fire in their voice. There's fire. It's the, it's the very fabric of who they are. It comes out of the overflow of what? A book they read, a life they've lived. They've walked that walk. And you know, we all have different authorities. Joy has an authority that ushers in the heart of God as a father, gentle, meek, the beauty of Jesus. Jody has an authority that tears down strongholds. All the same God. The God of might and power is the same God who is lowly and gentle. All the same God. But if I don't know what revelation of God I'm carrying, I will be singing somebody else's song. Not singing the song that he's fashioned and shaped in my own heart and life. Mary, when she worships, she's disclosing things that she has found about who God really is. And that's really what worship is. In the book of Acts, it says they came with a spiritual psalm and song. All had different weeks. Some worked, some were slaves, some were masters, some were poor, some were rich. And they would join together and sing and declare and proclaim the goodness of God. I long for a day, I honest, this is my prayer. When we, as great as our worship teams are, when the songs are not led from here. 
I long for a day whenever someone stands up and just declares something of God. It sparks someone over here who says, Amen, Amen, and over here, and there's a life in the congregation that will supersede any life that comes from the orchestration of a band or a musician or a worship leader up here. That's what church should look like. But if I don't know what I know, I won't declare what I need to declare. And your song, it reveals something about God, but it also reveals something about you because you found him in this particular way. Or more importantly, he found you in this particular way. And because God is so intentional, every revelation we have of him is specific and unique to us. And of course they overlap and other people have similar revelations, but the principle I'm trying to for you, display for you is so powerful, I wish, we could, I wish I had more time to do this. It's called the beholding and the becoming principle. I can't be what I can't see. I behold something of his nature and then I'm given power by the Holy Spirit with the word of God working in my life to become what I have beheld. I can't become what I want to become without understanding who I'm supposed to become and who I'm supposed to become comes out of revelation. Who you say he is is so important because without it you won't be who you're supposed to be. You'll be running somebody else's race, doing somebody else's ministry. So when we hear people worshiping, two things are happening. We're hearing their revelation of God, but we're also hearing the revelation of their heart. And I want to just step into this now and show you something about Mary's heart that I think is quite incredible. Look at verse one, sorry, which is, 57, 47. She starts her song with saying these words. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Why don't we say that together? My soul. What's happening here? Mary is simply saying this. My soul is too small. I have discovered that you are so vast and so great and so majestic. You are so powerful. You know, all that we see in the heavens, the stars at night, the worlds that we know, the universes that exist, this is what the Bible says about the vastness of God. They are but the fringes of his garments. In the New Testament it says, no eye has seen, no ear has even heard, nor has it even entered into your heart yet. And that's a collective heart, what God has prepared for those who love him. I want to tell you, church, any real worship that happens comes from being overwhelmed by the incredible reality of the greatness of God. If we start worship from my own human experience, it won't do in me and do for me or do for God what God intended it to be. And so when I sing this song, how great is our God, we're inviting you into this vast reality. You know he is the king of kings, don't you? You know he's the Lord of lords. There's a lot of lords and a lot of kings in this world. He is the ultimate king. 
He is not just a good man. He's the great I am. He's everlasting to everlasting. There is power in the name of Jesus. And Mary's looking at herself and she's saying, I'm too little for you, God. The space in my soul is too small. So magnify the Lord. Make room, make space for him to pour in his mercy and his grace. Soul, you're too narrow. Widen. Here's what God says about your soul. That the boundaries he has set for you are in pleasant places. Not pleasing to you, because if you had your way, you'd stay little. But he, the expansive God, will stretch out his ten pecks and increase your capacity for him to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. My soul, magnify the Lord. Make much of the God who has much. Give glory to the one who wrote the story. Give God Praise, adoration, and exaltation from a heart that understands that awe and reverence and power and authority are his realm. And weakness and brokenness and pitifulness and desperation are my realm. Soul, move out of the way. Let the light come. Soul, You've got things in there that are taking up space that God wants to have. I'm telling them to go in the name of Jesus. So you have cramped my style for years because I'm frightened of this one or sorry about that thing. Out of the way. Everything that's in the way, get out of the way. My soul needs to be available in all of its entirety to the king of glory for he desires to fill me with everlasting love and light. My soul has to subdue itself. I think, I feel, I want, I know, I know nothing in comparison to the surpassing love of the God who saved me from the foundations of the earth. My soul, make room for the father you've always looked for. My soul, stand aside and let the one who heals bring his healing power. My soul, wake up because he deserves my attention. How narrow is your soul? <laughs> I found in life, I'm 62 now, 63 in a few months time, don't forget the presents. <laughs> I found in my life that I had a bigger heart at the beginning than I do now. And maybe that's what's happening with Mary here. Before all of life, <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly happens. She's just got this pure heart that trusts and believes and desires and wants all that God has for her. Maybe you're like me, you've journeyed a bit. You've had some disappointments, you've been hurt, you've left behind some innocence and some purity. I wanna tell you today, no matter how damaged your soul is, it has to submit to the reality, the power, the glory, and the dominion of God. And if it doesn't do that, wait for it, I don't have time to clap. If it doesn't do that this side of the veil, it will certainly do that when you get to heaven. You got unforgiveness? It's taken up space. You got shame? Get out of the way. 
Come, Lord, reveal your fullness to me that I may feel you dwell in your power in the substance of my heart and my life. People have hurt you. I don't mean to be rude about it. They've hurt me too. Do not let them steal from you any more than they have taken. It's time to evict some things from our souls. They've been living there for too long and they're not even paying you rent. I meet Christians who walk around like wounded soldiers. Not Mary. I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know what you're going to do, God. But I'm telling my soul to make itself available in every way possible so that you can be magnified in my life. You know, one of the problems with all of us is our God is too small. When we were in Glasgow, we used to sing this terrible song. It was terrible because it was just very childlike. It was, great big God, little bitty devil. Do you remember that song? I used to detest it. I thought about theology. I don't know where theology came into it. Great big God. Little bitty devil. But we have a great big devil. Little bitty God. Who is this king of glory? See, when you allow your soul to engage in the magnification of your God, you have a great big God. Your soul is conditioned by his greatness, not confined by your weakness. You need your soul to be conditioned. You know, Jesus talks in the New Testament about pouring wine into new wineskins. He's talking about your soul. You see, some of us, we've had some difficulties. I've been through it, I understand. And you get littler and smaller and tighter and grumpier. I'm not looking at you in particular. <laughs> and here's what we say. We say stupid things sometimes in church. I'm just being wise. No. What you're being is miserable. Somebody has made it popular for old men to be miserable. The grumpy old men, they're just grumpy, aren't they? Oh, you get past 55 and that's it. You've got nothing to look forward to. You misery on a stick. <laughs> just go, oh, I'll go shopping. Oh, other people. And then we come to church and go, bless the Lord, oh my soul. <laughs> Like your soul has not been infected by all of those things that have happened in the week. I've been in elders meetings and people have done this in the elders meetings. They've said, you know, they wait to the end to speak because that's always the best point. When everyone's made their points, I'm giving you tips now, Modi. When everyone's made their points, <laughs> when everyone's made their point, always the first and the last voices are the ones that are remembered. And there used to be this guy that used to come and he would say these, these things. Well, we'd be talking about faith and we're going to change the world and we're going to da 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 da. And he'd say, Well, I just think we need to be careful. That's all he used to say. <laughs> and I, you know, I used to trick him because I would say, What do you think first? <laughs> Tell me what you think first because by the time we got to the end, we'd forgotten what he said. And everybody else who had faith to believe that God was going to do great things, we call that wisdom. Do you know what that is? Cynicism. Oh, pastor, 
I just think we need to be logical. Well, I've seen your logic. There's not a lot of joy in it. That's all I'm saying to you. Oh, pastor, you know, it's just me common sense. If it's common, I would like not to have it. I would like wisdom from heaven. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God, not misery. Your soul was created for him to fill. And this Christmas, I believe he wants to fill it. And those things that are in the way, get rid of them. I know it's hard. I know it's not easy to do that, but let go of the things that have taken hold of you. The strongholds that have a stronghold over the way you think, the way you act, and the way you interact with people. Let God be God. Make room for him. Make space for him. And Mary just wants her soul to be flooded with God. Oh, everything you have is everything I want. All of you in all of me. And that's worship, church. That's what worship looks like. All of you, God, in all of me. But she doesn't leave it there. She goes on to say this. My soul magnifies the Lord. In other words, I make much of God because I want him to fill me with much. And my spirit rejoiced in God my Savior. My spirit. In other words, I have predetermined what my spirit is going to do. Do you know that you are meant to allow your heart to become hard? See, that's a counterintuitive message, isn't it? But it says of Jesus, listen, this, this is an example of a good hardened heart. It says that he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. In other words, he determined in his heart that no matter what happened or where it happened or who said what or what experiences he had, he was going to fulfill the Father's will for his life. You, if you don't set your heart, the world will set it for you. Life will set it for you. You have to set your heart towards God. Like a flint, you have to make much of coming to him. And you're training your spirit in this way, to rejoice. You have to train your spirit to rejoice. I'll keep saying it until somebody wakes up. You have to train your spirit to rejoice. The same spirit that God gave you, not his spirit, but your spirit, the essence of who you are, actually has been conditioned by deficits and disarray. You have to train your spirit to rejoice. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. In prison, tied like a dog to a stake, in the dark, 34 times in the book of Philippians, he encourages the church to rejoice. Is that necessary? Absolutely. Because if you don't train your spirit to rejoice, it'll do something else. It will complain. And some of you are waiting for a breakthrough and the breakthrough you're waiting for can only materialize when you start to rejoice. You're asking God to move powerfully and he's waiting for you to move somewhat towards him and start educating your spirit to rejoice. And you need to educate your spirit to rejoice. You know whenever you hit your hand, 
with a hammer and you used to swear. Now you have to say hallelujah. <laughs> you know where someone cuts you up? In the queue at Sainsbury's, it's like, it's like the locusts have suddenly woken up in Selly Oak and every shop has got millions of people in and you're there queuing up and those people, they just come and they cut inside of you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, rejoice. Make a habit of rejoicing. Yeah, why, why? Because the salvation that God wants to bring, which is not finished yet in your life, needs an environment to move in. He inhabits the praises of his people. And it doesn't really matter what the world does with this. You and I are called to create a space for God to move powerfully. And you know, God will do through praise what you can never accomplish through prayer. All you need to do is worship him. Just worship him. Mary says these words. She begins with this great explanation about who she is, who God is, and all that she has learned. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoiced. I think the authorized version says, rejoices in God, my Savior. God, my Savior, has my undivided attention. And to keep myself connected to that reality, I'm disciplined in rejoicing. Will you stand for me, please? That's only verse one. Don't worry, I won't be speaking on this next week. What I would love for you to do, though, is to come to this scripture yourself. Luke chapter one, verses 47 to 53. And just say to God, the God who wants to flood your soul with his fullness, to say, God, I want something fresh. Not in the new year when we've partied like animals until we get there. At everything round us like locusts. I want something fresh today. Give me today my daily bread, God. I want to taste and I want to see that you're good. I want my soul to be saturated with your light, with your hope, with your joy, with your peace, with your blessing, Lord. I want my soul to be conditioned by you, being in it in all your entirety and fullness. And to help that process, I'm going to practice rejoicing. Because I'm a miserable so-and-so. And I need you to help me, God, be conditioned by heaven. I want all of us to learn these principles. These are deep, profound principles that awaken us to the fullness of God. And some of us, we're always complaining, always whinging, always looking at what we lack. Count your blessings, church. Are you saved today? Yes. Count that as a blessing. That's a blessing. Do you walk with Jesus? Is he tender-hearted towards you? That's a blessing. Has he blessed you with a baby? I know, bless you, you're not sleeping, but eventually he will sleep. <laughs> okay.
maybe in 10 years' time. But thank God there are people in this room who can't have kids. Thank God. If you've got somewhere to live tonight, if you've got somewhere to sleep tonight, have you seen the temperatures outside? Thank God. If you can put your head on your pillow at the end of the night and you know that your account with God and people is pretty okay, thank God. If you've got anyone who smiles at you, welcomes you, says hello to you, cares about you, is interested in you, thank God. Count your blessings. Stop whining about your lack because that's not conditioning your soul to receive all that God has for you. And you can call it anything you like. You can label that particular orientation of complaint. And you can, there's lots of words people attach to it. But I believe as a Christian today, we have been called to be the host and the home of the most beautiful and profound God who comes with joy and love and passion and power. And I want to make space for him this Christmas. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for your word to us today. May our souls magnify you, God. My soul, magnify the Lord. Make room, make space, make much of him. And Lord, let my spirit rejoice. Because you are the God who saves and continues to save and will always continue until salvation has done its wonderful work in us. I pray for those watching online this morning, God. Let your word find space and room in their busy lives. For us in this room, we run out here into something else. Lord God, let us not rush past these moments. This is the conditioning of your spirit for all the blessing that you long to bring into our lives and we don't want to miss the opportunity to be made ready by you for everything you want to do. But Lord, today I want to rejoice and I want to be glad because I have much to rejoice and be glad for. I ask your blessing on our hearts, Lord God, and our minds as we step towards this Advent season. And may we, like Mary, Lord, make much of you. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. God bless you.